today on Context. The United States is currently seeking her extradition. We are deeply grateful to the government of Canada for its assistance and its steadfast commitment to the rule of law. But that has provoked the economic superpower. This is not reflecting well. It seems that the Canadian government is at the end of its wit. And now Canada is stuck in the middle of an international quagmire with China. Canada is and will always remain a country of the rule of law. But the real issue in this international spy thriller are people's lives. More than 60 million Christians and 1 million Muslims face persecution, jail, even death. Three Canadians remain in Chinese prison, detained in what looks like retaliation of Huawei CFO Meng Wanzhou's extradition at the request of the United States. Today, Context looks into concerns over security and human rights in China. I'm Lorna Duick. I'm Sheldon Neal. And I'm Molly Thomas. And this is Context. Well, all of Canada has become familiar with uh, Huawei CFO Meng Wanzhou, uh, what experts really call Chinese royalty. Uh, Lorna, you've actually met Meng? She invited you to her home in China? I have had the privilege of spending a day with her. Okay. And I, um, she's a very smart woman. She uh, understands very well uh, the, the scope of what she's involved in and how important her role is. And uh, my, I, I hoped my lasting impression on spending time with her was uh, I, I wanted to have a really great discussion with them about what could Huawei do with their socially responsible profile, that they mm -hmm. could do something uh, that could change the globe about human rights abuses and that could change China about human rights abuses. And how important that was to Canadian investors that we actually want to see that kind of engagement. That conversation went nowhere. Hmm. And that was, of course, before all of this happened. Sheldon Mung is on house arrest right now, but she got out of, uh, she got on, on bail of $10 million. Who paid that money? You know what? It has really come to a list of acquaintances, and it makes it really hard to kind of follow those breadcrumbs to official names and something concrete. But I was able to track down a Mr. Bob Cheng, who is really a former acquaintance of her, really a manager of a health and dental center, who really changed careers to now move into real estate and so old Meng, really her first home, and I was able to connect with him through his real estate company, but there was no official call back. So the search continues. Other listed are as close friends, a Canadian couple, a wife of a former uh, Huawei employee. It is a lot of ghostly shielded information of who her support base are, but I'm expecting things beginning to leak over time. So much to talk about here. Uh, thanks guys for that. Let's go over though and talk to Bob Fu, who is with China Aid in Washington. The focus may be on China because of Meng Wanzhou, but her case puts a glaring spotlight on human rights abuses in China. Over a million Muslims have been in forced re-education classes. Many thousands of Christians are jailed and tortured, Buddhists imprisoned. In the past 12 months, this increase in suffering has been caused by strict new religious affairs regulations put into place last year in China. Bob Fu and his wife were protesters for democracy at Tiananmen Square. Bob later led a house church in China and both he and his wife were imprisoned in China for their faith. Bob, there you are on the front steps of the Capitol building in Washington, D.C., uh, lobbying U.S. officials 
congressmen, congresswomen, you're a tireless at improved human rights in China. Bob, tell us what are conditions like right now today for people of faith who are in jail in China? Well, the prison condition is extremely uh, bad, and uh, you are not allowed to eat uh, any cooked uh, real food. It's uh, rotten food with uh, worms inside, and uh, only two pieces uh, at a day, and uh, you're starving. So um, that is uh, the, the, the kind of condition. Bob, does it frustrate you that there are so many tens of thousands in those kind of conditions and all we're talking about in the West is trade deals. <laughs> that's true. That's, uh, it is uh, very shocking, of course, uh, because of the China's censorship and also, the unfortunately, the Western, you know, some business communities' uh, complacency uh, in dealing with China. So there, while tens of thousands, actually a million uh, Uyghur Muslims are in the concentration camp right now. Okay, so what is the way forward on that? It's shocking that we aren't hearing more about those one million Uyghur Muslims, uh, the many uh, Christians that are being persecuted. This is happening to Buddhists as well. What should the West be doing? I think the West, uh, we should, uh, it's time to wake up and uh, the traditional model, a paradigm of more trade, more business, more freedom uh, is dead. And uh, the old way of uh, just a human rights dialogue and the table, saving faces, this kind of approach is also uh, dead. So we need to really uh, relink the uh, everything we do, business and uh, uh, any uh, governmental and uh, non-governmental relations with the fundamental rights of uh, uh, human rights and freedom. And uh, if we can't even guarantee our own citizens uh, freedom and uh, basic human rights like these three Canadian citizens. Uh, how can we expect uh, China would abide uh, for its international obligations and uh, contracts? But how do we step in on those religious freedom needs? How do we do it? What's the activism we need? Well, we should, uh, of course, uh, well, Christians, we need to, to pray. Uh, uh, you know, uh, we, we need to take a prayerful action. We need to um, really hold the Chinese uh, uh, persecutors accountable. For instance, we can uh, put those persecutors uh, under the, uh, in the U.S., we have this law called the Global Magnitsky uh, Human Rights Accountability Act, uh, where those uh, persecutors are going to be sanctioned for to revoking their visas, their family members, their, and the, the persecutors, uh, their own wealth that they're hiding in the West, uh, in the banks, uh, are uh, going to be confiscated. And so we need to really, I think, uh, take some meaningful actions like that to uh, make the Chinese Communist Party know they cannot uh, continue these rep rep repressive policies. I know we're catching you in a moment when you're in a hurry to return to the U.S. Congress. Tell us just what you are doing with U.S. officials and Congress uh, men and women right now. Yes, uh, we just uh, met with the member, uh, the uh, congressional leader, one of the champions for the human rights globally, and certainly China, Congressman Chris Smith. And uh, he has reintroduced uh, the legislation called the Uyghur Human Rights uh, 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 Policy Act. Uh, in the Senate, it was introduced by Senator Marco Rubio. So this will be a, a, a law, a piece of law. I hope that uh, the U.S. Congress can 
uh, pass and uh, with uh, President Trump consign it into law to hold the Chinese uh, persecutors accountable and to help those who are uh, persecuted. And I hope the Canadian Parliament, the Canadian government can follow this use. All right, thank you Bob, very much. thank you so much for joining us. You've come a long way from being a, a religious refugee yourself to now being on the front line of trying to wake all of us up. That we cannot continue to turn a blind eye to human rights abuses in China. Bob Fu, thank you very much. Thanks, Lorna. Joining me now from Victoria, B.C. is Jonathan Manthorpe, the author of Claws of the Panda, Beijing's Campaign of Influence and Intimidation in Canada. So, Jonathan, let's jump into this. You say in your book that the Communist Chinese Party is infiltrating Canadian politics. Can you give us an example of that? Yeah, well, it's been going on uh, since the 1960s, Sheldon, and was instrumental in Canada leading the way in uh, 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 gaining diplomatic relations with uh, China in, in uh, with the People's Republic of China in 1970, but in more recent years, it's been evidence uh, been evidenced in two or three areas. One is the uh, pressure on uh, Canadian politicians not to respond significantly to uh, um, human rights abuses by the Chinese Communist Party. I in China or elsewhere, not to respond to such things as the territorial expansion in the South China Sea. Uh, and uh, within Canada, um, also uh, Canadian politicians have not responded to repeated uh, uh, reports by Canadian security and intelligence services uh, of um, uh, intimidation and other activities by uh, uh, Chinese Communist Party agents here against Canadians, and indeed spying as well. There have been a huge number of uh, cases against um, alleged Chinese spies in the United States. Okay. There have been hardly any here, if any. So, and a lot of this is not is not because Canadian politicians haven't been told. They have been told. So how long has this influence and intimidation briefly been going on? Yeah, it started really with the Canadian missionaries in China in the 1930s and 40s. Uh, they made links with the Chinese Communist Party that uh, survived through the Second World War and really and resurfaced uh, when uh, the, the Chinese Communists took power in China in 1949. And it's really gone on from there. And you have been quoted as saying this is the worst crisis since 1970 when we began formal diplomatic relations with China. Should we want to, I wonder, recover our relationship with China or do we need a change in our approach? Well, I, this is an interesting question, uh, Sheldon. I think the first thing to say is uh, it, it is a crisis, but I think it's a very necessary crisis and it's one that was going to come because it shows the clash of values between Canada and uh, and the People's Republic of China, one which which they've managed to hide for a long time. But the other thing I think is, you know, the crisis we have now is essential. We Canada has been following the rule of law uh, on the Huawei affair. It has been uh, uh, adhering to our international treaties, but uh, China has responded by kidnapping two Canadians essentially and holding them hostage. Mm -hmm. Seems to me that if the relationship is going to be repaired, one. Uh, China needs to release the Canadians immediately. And two, 
it needs to uh, show some remorse and try to rebuild trust with Canada, not the other way around. And when you talk about relations, according to an Angus Reid poll, Canadians think we should not allow Chinese investment in sensitive industries. Is this the Canadian public's kind of way of, are they getting weary of Chinese infiltration? Do they have a right to think this way? What, what, do, you, what do you sense? You know, I think that this has been building for a while, Sheldon, and, and there's been a, a gap between the perception of China at the political and business and indeed academic level and ordinary Canadians on the street have been much more skeptical about the Chinese Communist Party than, uh, than our leaders have been, which is another reason why this Huawei uh, incident is, is important, because it has forced political leaders and other opinion leaders to recognize the gap between them and, and uh, the ordinary Canadian public. So uh, I think it's an important moment. Wow. Uh, let me ask you, how do we move forward with China and all these tensions? It seems to be a reoccurring theme. How do we move forward beyond the level of just threat? Yeah. Well, I, no, I, I agree. As I've said, I think that really now it should be China that makes the first move to, to reconcile. We cannot ignore China. I mean, the, the China is going to be, uh, is already a major superpower. We have to have a decent relationship with China. But it seems to me that it has to be based on reality. And for the last 70 years or so, it has not been based on reality. It's been based on a, on a very naive and self-delusional view of China by most of our political and business leaders. And we need now to have one that is based on reality and recognizes that we have very different values that uh, while the Communist Party is in power in China, that is not going to change. They are not suddenly going to become a democracy. And we have to tailor our relationship yeah. to the recognition that there are going to be clashes and, wow. and probably should be clashes. Wow, Jonathan, you've given us a lot to think about. Jonathan Manthorpe, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure, Sheldon. Thank you, Sheldon. Well, understanding the motives and strategic moves of the Chinese government is one challenge. Getting information into a communist country, that's another. A non-profit TV station with studios in North Toronto is trying to do just that. Molly Thomas went to the NTD studio and has this report. Welcome to New Tang Dynasty TV in North York, Toronto. So a few different studios here, hey? Yeah. A network with two 24-hour broadcast signals flowing across Canada, the U.S. and Taiwan. In China, 40 million satellites operate without the consent of the government to get information out to Chinese people. Founded in 2001 by Falun Gong practitioners, it claims to be one of the only uncensored Chinese outlets in the world. You're a TV station. It doesn't take any money from the Chinese government. Uh, it openly criticizes corruption uh, in China. Doesn't that make you the enemy? It actually does. Uh, uh, enemy to the Chinese authorities, uh, but not enemy to the Chinese people. When we first started, we wanted to give the the global Chinese people are a voice, uh, uncensored inform information. In the Chinese communist system, they have this secret weapon, it's called uh, the United Front. Mm -hmm. So they use different kinds of tactics. Uh, you buy your influence, you give incentives so that you listen to what they have to say. Yeah, even here in Canada, you've had people slashing tires. That's happening yeah. here in Toronto. I mean, do you worry? Do you worry? Do your, does your staff worry about what they do, even here on this side of the world? We do worry, um, but we have faith in the Canadian system. Uh, we're in Canada, we're not in China, and uh, 
Chinese people in China face much, much more dangers uh, than what we face in Canada. Let's talk about Huawei. The U.S., of course, has banned its technologies now. Canada still operating. We have an office not far from here. You believe it's dangerous. Why? Why do you say that? I believe that companies like Huawei, they are actually the extension of the Chinese government. It's dangerous because they have to, by Chinese system, report to the government whatever the government wanted them to report. So wouldn't that go for any Chinese company that operates around the world? <laughs> you know, what, way, what makes Huawei different? Well, uh, what you said is true. In China, you're controlled by the Chinese government. There's no exception. But Huawei is more dangerous because it is the number one telecommunication company in the world. They're big. And they, uh, through whatever means, they have all these technologies mm -hmm. and the 5G. And uh, basically, if they are part of the Canadian 5G network, you're opening up all the Canadian privacies to the Chinese government. If somebody belongs to an underground church, you know, if the government wants to arrest this person, they can easily do it. Mm -hmm. And Huawei helps the government to, uh, to achieve that. The U.S. really started this fight with China. <laughs> we are stuck in the middle. Canada's stuck in the middle. Uh, what do we do, Joe? We're, we're, this is our, uh, the U.S. is our largest trading partner. China is our second largest trading partner. The ultimate goal of communism is to control all the humanity, to lead the human race into the so-called uh, communism utopia. In, in the world stage, when, when they deal with um, different entities, they would size themselves with the opponents. If they feel that they're stronger than the opponents, then they can crush the opponent and you know, basically conquer it. But in terms of the United States, that's a different story. They size themselves against the U.S. and say... The U.S. is more powerful. It's much more powerful. It's, it, uh, so they apply a whole different set of tools in terms of that kind of struggle. That's where the, the United Front start to play. You're picking um, on us because we're the weaker. Exactly. The weaker state. Yeah, but we're not weak. We're strong because we have rule of law. We have democracy. And this is our principle. The, uh, the government, the Chinese uh, authorities are so tough on Canada right now because they sensed our weakness. We were wavering mm -hmm. against, uh, away from our principle. Mm -hmm. uh, if we don't do that, we stick to our principle, we're strong, and we rally our uh, international allies, and we'll be much more stronger, and the Chinese will back off. <laughs> Still ahead, a Canadian couple recounts their horrifying story of being imprisoned on suspicion of espionage. Plus, China's persecution of Christians and in fact any religion is on the rise. But the crackdown is making the church stronger. That's coming up. Well, what looks like the detainment of Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig as retribution for detaining Huawei CFO Meng Wanzhou. Well, this is not the first time Canadians have allegedly been used as political pawns. In 2014, Kevin and Julia Garrett were arrested in China and accused of espionage. The couple had lived in China for 30 years. Much like what we're seeing now, the Garrett's ordeal came after the detainment of Su Bin, a Chinese man arrested on request of the U.S. for allegedly stealing military secrets. 
Lorna Duick spoke with Julia and Kevin at their recent book launch. The entire tragedy around your abduction, you've come to learn, was really a political tit for tat. Uh, a, 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 an exchange, a swap, as it were, of political uh, detainees. What have you come to understand about why you were taken? Well, at the time, of course, we didn't understand anything. We didn't know this was a political tit-for-tat, didn't know anything about this guy Subin being arrested in Vancouver. But afterwards, we realized, oh, it was all, it was nothing really to do with us. It was all to do with the politics that were going on at the time. And we were just the pawns. Julia, you guys were there to do humanitarian work, training, education. Why did that catch the attention of China in a negative way? Because the people who took us thought that we used humanitarian work as a cover for spying. So even though you were taken in on a political charge, because of your humanitarian work, they really felt this was spy games underway, right, Kevin? I think they thought that. At least they were trying to prove that. And they were looking for anything that would prove that we were spies, but they really couldn't find anything. Julia, I can't help but think your story is a big springboard into the case for religious freedom in China. So many people imprisoned in China over religious convictions. How do you feel about that? I think religious grounds would be also just in the category to China of political. So there are many, many, many political prisoners in China of all kinds, which include some of the more active people in, in, in proselytizing religion in China. One thing we have learned is how to pray for people in prison. And definitely we share that at every opportunity and say, okay, don't just pray, get them out. Pray, let them do everything that, that God puts on their heart to do while they're in there and bring hope. Give an answer to everyone for the hope that is in them. Pray that they can sleep, pray that they can eat. So it's all the small prayers that now we understand how important they are that we can now call on people to continue to do. And I think that's our responsibility as people who are free to really offer those prayers on a regular basis for the people who aren't free. And yeah, our heart, we're heartbroken, not just for the Christians in prison, but for these people in the tit for tat and for the Michaels and we pray for them and we encourage people also to engage in, in prayer and quiet action. Whether it's Uyghur Muslims in China's re-education camps or Christians detained for their beliefs, why is belief in God so threatening to the Chinese government? That's the problem. It is threatening. And why they see it threatening is because it takes away power from the government, they think. But I understand and what I see is that it only actually enhances if they would let people follow follow Jesus and didn't make a, an issue of it. So it's, it's a fear, they look around the world, they think, oh, Christians have done this and done that. But really, they miss all the many, many good things that Christians have done. Your book, Two Tears, it has surprised me that it is sitting, as we do this interview, at number two on the political read list. Why is this book resonating in political circles? I think that this book is just um, an anecdotal expression of what happens to ordinary people when they are suddenly thrust into the world of politics. But I also think that some of the information that we do anecdotally learn by living our lives in a country like China for more than 30 years mm -hmm. is um, gives some incredible insight 
to things that maybe people couldn't learn just by taking a PhD in China studies or political science. As persecution of religions in China is on the rise, faith and the church are still persevering under the repressive communist regime. That is next. To give us a better understanding of the situation in China, we have open doors with us. They document the persecution of Christianity in China. Andrew Croft, Gary Stagg, thank you for joining us. Gary, what are the numbers telling us about persecution? The numbers are telling us that it's really on the rise in China. They've gone from 20 million Christians being persecuted last year to 50 million. So we document with our World Watch list, it documents the top 50 countries in the world where it's most dangerous to be a Christian. And so they've really climbed on that list. And what exactly, Andrew, are they experiencing? What, what kind of persecution? Yeah, so the persecution is coming a lot in what we call church life. It, there's been uh, a lot of closure of churches, crosses being brought down, raids, and even arrests of church leaders. They're trying to put on limits on those under 18 years old from attending church, so Sunday school programs, camps, uh, even signs outside of churches that say uh, no one under 18 allowed. Okay, so this is, uh, religious life is seen as a political movement in China. Why is faith such a threat and, and to, to the Chinese government? I think it's a threat for them because they see large numbers of people gathering together because the church is growing exponentially in China. And uh, with the growth, it draws the attention of the government. And so they're fearful that if large groups of people gather together in assembly, that somehow it can be uh, seen as a uh, reaction against the government. And there's a lesson emerging that the Chinese church is teaching us, that small is good, right, Andrew? Absolutely. And so it, when the, with this persecution, what is happening is that the church is moving back to house churches, back to smaller groups, which we believe will just help them to grow and to expand. All right. And how, Gary, can we support and help the persecuted people in China? I think the, the, uh, the main thing is to pray. If you ask them, what can we do for you? We always ask them, what can we do for you? Uh, the number one answer that we always get from them is please pray for us. They want our prayers, but they also want us to be aware. They want us to be informed. And they want, it, they want us to know that they're a part of the family. And this is all about family. Okay. Well, thank you both. We've got the uh, exact details of the Open Watch uh, persecution count on our website. Thank you for joining us, uh, Director Gary Stagg and Partner Engagement Andrew Croft from Open Doors. I'll be right back with my wrap. What could be so frightening about religion that one of the world's greatest superpowers, China, has just racked up its worst year in 40 years of human rights abuses against Christians, Buddhists, and Muslims? People of faith are suffering in China. Even Canadian Christians would not come on the program today who are of Chinese descent for fear of their relatives back home in China. Keeping the profile of suffering people in China is so important as we press ahead on these trade negotiations with Canada. And most important, to ask ourselves, what can we learn of their persistence and their faith in the face of such suffering? Lots more on our website. Please learn about the suffering in China.
I'm Lorna Duick, and you're watching Context. Voters turning their outrage into online worldwide trends. Quebec has an interesting relationship with race and religion. We'll never arrest our way out of this problem. I guess the politics ahead of the people on the front lines is more concerning. It's too dangerous for us to go over to Syria right now. This is real, isn't it? We could be looking at another Rwanda. God gave us this amazing place, and what we are doing to it is a sin. Well, this is an issue our next guest is an expert on. I think it's going to be very difficult for the province to follow these rules. What is the standard that the church asks? And he said, God's got you. You are protected.